So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's Dartboard Movie Night What's going on everyone? I'm Drew And I'm Jared And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night The movie podcast where we hurl inanimate objects at the wall to decide our fates I... I'm so excited to talk about tonight's movie. What are we watching, Jared? Tonight we are watching All the President's Friend Men from 1970. All the President's Friends. All the President's Friends. You know, he's Definitely palling around. They're friends in this movie. <laughs> I mean, we do meet a lot of the President's Friends in this movie. That's true. That's that is quite true. And I'm I'm actually super jazzed to be talking about this flick too. I mean, I guess we could dive right in in terms of like how cuz it was one of my nominees. Yeah, why'd you right? put it, why'd even you put number it on the was board? 10. What was your reasoning? I mean, yeah. So I have been on, I don't even know how how cognizant I have been of it, but I've been on a bit of a 70s kick lately. And a couple months back, I rewatched for the second time ever, The Graduate. And I was, I liked it so much more than the first time I had seen movie, it. Just to be clear. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But I, but that, it's kind of a multi-seed thing. One of it was I wanted to see more Dustin Hoffman, kind of in his earlier part of his career and what one might say his prime. Um, and then another thing was we had been seeing a lot of these 70s films that have been interesting to me, whether it's Taking of Pelham 123, uh, whether it's Catch-22. Back in the day, you introduced me to Sorcerer. So I've been really interested and also... In, um, you watched The French Connection. As well. Yeah, the French connection. So I have found that there's just been so many great, so much great stuff was happening then. And I've been interested in exploring it. I also am a huge Robert Redford fan. And I also didn't really know anything about Watergate that much. I knew about it through pop culture references and things like that. And I kind of got the gist of what happened, you know, that the Republicans were sort of like, bugging and wiring Democratic National Convention and things like that, and that Nixon resigned over it. It was pressured out. But I didn't really know any of the details, and this has been, I wouldn't quite call it a shamer. It's not a movie that I would be embarrassed to say I hadn't seen. It's a bit of a deeper cut than that. Uh, but it's something that I've always wanted to get around to, and I've heard was really good. And there were a bunch of actors in it who I've grown to love that I did not know were in it. So that was a pleasant surprise. And it's just something that had just been on the list for a while. You know, a lot of these movies that make it onto our formal board are, are in that category. If it's just something we've been wanting to get around to for whatever reason. And this just seemed like a, a, a good time to put it on the board. It was one of the original yeah. of mine. And, and uh, no, to me, that's like the perfect reason to put something on the board where it's just like, this is a thing that I've had on my radar forever have vague opinions about or, or vague ideas of people's opinions about this movie. I just know that it's supposed to be good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's throw it on there. See what's what. That's a, that's as good a reason as any. Uh, for sure. And and that's, I think that might be my favorite reason or whatever, but um, I, I think it's kind of, I had kind of got it jumbled up in my head a little bit with the movie Frost v. Nixon which I've never seen, by the way. I just remember the adverts for it. And I, I, so I, I knew it was a journalism movie. I believe that is Frost slash Nixon. Is it really? Yeah. I thought it was Frost V. No, it's Frost slash Nixon. Have you ever seen that film, by the way? I have, a while ago. Any I, good? I remember not hating it. It's just like, it's a Ron, Will, Ron Howard movie. Like It's just completely inoffensive, not outstanding right. in any way. 
yeah. Yeah, I mean, what I like about this movie is this this movie completely dodges having someone try to do a Richard Nixon impression, which is a great, which is like a stroke of genius because that in itself is so distracting when you have like an actor trying to do like a president or someone super famous like that could just totally pull you out of it and you're either saying wow he's doing a really good richard nixon or you're thinking why he's not really getting it right like it's a total distraction so this movie obviously has none of that because anything you anytime you see richard nixon it's real footage um so i don't know it wasn't i knew it was investigative journalism and i knew robert redford and dustin hoffman were in it but there was a lot of stuff in there that i didn't expect and yeah. And it was great. I, 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 I will say just off the bat that I really I really dug it. So you you had seen this before, right? So it's obviously the first for me. Do you remember the context of when you saw it and how you came to it? I don't exactly remember when uh, I first saw this movie. It was a number of years ago. I want to say it was probably when I was living in Cleveland or, or Columbus. Uh, so probably at a minimum four years ago. It was a movie that was on my radar. I obviously had heard the name thrown about a lot in the context of just Dustin Hoffman movies, Robert Redford movies, journalism movies. You know, it's kind of just in that pantheon of like all these different, you know, lists in that Mm -hmm. way. I hadn't really thought about like why I originally watched it, but if I had to guess, it might have been prompted by really digging Spotlight when that came out. Mm. And just igniting an interest in journalism movies and just mm-hmm. and and I think also just having you know gone through the four years with Trump and starting to gain a different appreciation for investigative journalism and getting to the bottom of things and you know uh, germ- journalism as a as a force for good in the world that is like mm-hmm. kind of undervalued and is just these you know these kind of I don't know. There's there's a romantic quality to journalism movies where it's oh, portraying yeah. this this kind of you know just grinding it out kind of personality of people where they're just like they're persistent to like a fault, but they're like getting results, and they're just like they they like are the only kind of their their brains are built so that this is the only kind of work they could ever possibly do. They can't function in a normal society. I don't know. Those kind of stories just like really were clicking with me at a certain point. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, this movie is the greatest of all of those, Uh, you know, at least from the ones I've seen by a lot of accounts of other people who have seen a lot more movies than me. You know, this is kind of the one. And I think it's for good reason. This movie is obsessed with, the griminess and the the rigmarole yeah the the, yeah yeah, exactly just the 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 day-to-day life of a journalist is what this movie is from top to bottom almost to a fault where it's like you're just like fuck like it's this is like putting you in the headspace of a journalist from start to finish i feel like oh totally and just think of how much film time is spent with uh, the two characters getting rejected in some way. Yes. Like, I would argue, like, almost like an eighth of the movie. That's probably too much. But it's it's a high number. But it never... I mean, I get what you're saying, too. Like It's like, fuck. But it's not necessarily out of boredom. It's just, like, you want them to break through. You want them to succeed. Well, you're feeling, you're feeling the weight of all the work they're putting into this thing. Yeah. And so you want as much for them to get the you know the confirmation of the story as as you know they do 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I don't know. And, th- and that's what I loved about Spotlight, too. So that's why I, I kind of think that was probably around the time where I watched it the first time. I mean, you we before we really started rolling, we were talking about it. But I think it's so fun to see. I wonder if this is considered the grandfather of investigative stories. And it's if so, it's just cool to see it from its time. And, you know, it was made shortly after the whole scandal happened, right? So, like, because Nixon resigned in, oh, I want to say, 74, I mean, 75. Redford was buying the rights to it, basically, as the story was breaking. Yeah, which is which is insane. Um, he was talking but, to them during the investigation. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty nutty. I think uh, it's just cool that, um, I don't know, just to see investigative, and we kind of were talking about how much manpower and human power and work goes into all of this, like in that time with no internet, it's legal pads, scratch pads, jotting down I notes. I love phone the tactility calls. of this movie. I do too. And I was like at that early scene where Redford's first on the blower, just calling people, and he's got the yellow legal pad and he's doodling, he's circling names, and they've got the close up shots of it. Literally, the first shot of the movie is the fucking typewriter, typewriter hammering into in. the screen. Hell yeah. And I, I, I love the. That 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 the, the sound of the typewriter was always in the background of the newsroom. It was just a constant floor for anything else yeah. that was occurring, and that was that was really cool and probably really realistic too. But just um, yeah, just the doodles and the circles and the way he took notes, and I like that they just took the time to shoot that and show that, and like he's always they're always surrounded by stacks of books and 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 Dude. papers, and like it's just like you feel buried in this information, um, and we get our own version of information overload and, and, and say investigative stories that are set in the post-internet age where you have like this incredible, this infinite amount of information you have to sift through. But there is still something really cool about seeing someone like buried in books trying to figure something out. You really feel the weight of it a lot more, I think. Yeah. No, I completely agree. It's it's This movie puts you in the again like i said earlier it puts you in the experience of these journalists like you are writing notes with them while they're writing like you're you're hearing names and you're like i even thinking about just the opening of this movie i love when robert redford goes to the uh the first court hearing for the the people Mm -hmm. who were arrested at watergate yep and he's you know first of all he's he's badgering the one lawyer and is like why are you here wait, they didn't even make a call. How are you here? Like, why? there's no reason for you to be here. Um, yeah. And then afterwards, he's like listening in from afar on the judge talking to the, the six defendants. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's like hearing... picking up a word here and there. And like you as the audience, like the audio mix is made so that you're only catching a little bit of it. And like, it's just like, it's so well done. Yeah, and like he hears that like the person is from this had was it previously a consultant at the CIA, and he's like, "Whoa, like this is this is big." And that and lawyer I, was like tied to the CIA. That I love you, and you hit it too. Those three scenes where he's really badgering that first lawyer and that whole thing. Where, and then you get the cut to him with Jack Warden and um, Martin Balsam, mm-hmm. and he's like talking about the guy he talked to, and he's like. He the guy volunteers evidence to him and and the punchline of of Redford being like I didn't ask him about Watergate he volunteered yeah. that on his own yeah, and you're yeah, just yeah. like shit <laughs> like they're on to it fuck yes all right let's go yeah. 
Yeah, I that that the scene at the water fountain specifically, I think, really shows that uh, you know Bob Woodward, you know, uh, the the character is just uh, a really strong journalist. Like he's asking really good questions, like how how are you here, you know? And it's like the I also love how annoyed the lawyer is on by the third visit. I mean, he's annoyed at every single one, but it's so visible. But he keeps on the third accidentally one. saying one too many things, yeah, and, and then he's like, just done, catching himself yeah. and he's going like, <laughs> "I'm not here." Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> like a great example of like how I would be such a terrible investigative journalist is because I don't like when I could tell that people are uncomfortable oh, yeah. with me being you there. You have to be. And, and Dustin like, Hoffman. No, 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 no. And the funny thing is you're like, at the beginning, you're like, wow, Redford's really persistent. And then you meet Carl Bernstein. Yeah. And Hoffman is just almost a, like a psychotic or something with like how persistent he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's so, he's so unaware of social blunders. It seems because he's so dedicated to his, his craft and getting to the bottom of things yeah. that he doesn't have time for like pleasantries or anything like that. I think that sort of stuff really comes across with that scene with their coworker who dated someone who worked at like the Republican committee to right. reelect funds. And like Hoffman is so like, unaware that this woman is getting upset and does not want to do this. And he just keeps, he's like, what do you, what do you mean? Why wouldn't you? Blah, 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 blah. And Redford, I think it's calculated, but even he kind of calls off the dogs, but, but, uh, you know, Hoffman well, that's the perfect example so of the balance in. of their relationship, which, yeah. And anyway. why they were so effective together. Yeah. I mean, we're jumping around, but I mean like the beginning, I, I love this intro. I love the way that you kind of immediately are getting a feel for like the investigative nature and how much you're going to have to pay attention to this movie to like stay with it. And I think this movie is like the best example ever of a movie that actually benefits having subtitles on Mm. because tracking all these names and, and events and people and organizations and nicknames for things. And like the only way to do it is, is by like having that to back you up. I could see this movie definitely being a good subtitle movie because there was a lot of times where I was like in the weeds and I ended up doing a, almost like a back-to-back watch of it. And I felt like the first time through, I didn't really feel like it mattered. Like I was, I was a little lost. I was like, wait, who's that guy? Um, what, what are they talking you about? You can almost there? get lost in the details a little bit too yeah. much. Yeah. And I, but I think the movie is really good about like kind of telling you like, it, it doesn't matter that much. Like you, it, the movie knows that we all know the story to an extent. So I think it kind of is like this very like I didn't I never felt frustrated by the for on first viewing. I not do being think able it, it assumes some knowledge, though. Like it's not like it's not a movie That's that true. will hold your hand through it by any means. But I think the movie, to its credit, it had to play within the times of that it came out. Like this was in the immediate aftermath. And they had to be like, look, we have to recognize that the majority of this people watching this movie are going to know exactly what happened or it's not to someone. Well, but to your point, like you can watch this movie a little more abstractly than that and not pay attention really to the details of, of the who and the what, and really just understand that these people are on the trail of something, you know, based on the tone of the scene and like what they're trying to do, that they're trying to extract some information. Like you can kind of just watch on that level. And I feel like it's just as enjoyable. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's how I felt. I was like, I'm not exactly following how they got to this door and what led them here, but I didn't really feel like it mattered. And then on second viewing, it was more clear and I was able to see kind of more the in- investigative side of it and, and follow along with them in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, I didn't felt gypped the first time. It was fine that I didn't follow every single lead. Well, we haven't really talked about this, but I mean, what is your overall reaction to this movie? Like, how do you, how do you feel generally about it? Really strong. On first viewing, I had one major issue with it. But there are a lot of strengths that I'm excited to get into. And second viewing, I don't feel so strongly about that negative. I thought the performances were outstanding. Um, I thought the writing was great. I thought the cinematography was wonderful. And especially the cinematography really stood out to me more on second viewing. I didn't really recognize it on first one. It's outstanding. Um, I thought the score was great and incredibly subtle and used very sparingly. I thought the... uh, the sound design was wonderful, specifically the way they were really jumbling dialogue together. Hmm. Um, I, I don't remember seeing something like that in a movie quite that old, where people were stepping all over each other's lines and there were interruptions. And I really, really enjoyed that, especially from a scripted thing. I, I see that a lot in improv stuff or stuff that has an improv vent, you know, something, an easy example, something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, where they have interruptions constantly because they're trying to more accurately reflect conversations in real life. But to hear that used very specifically in something that was structured and written was really cool. And the fact that they were able to pull it off in the mix with the technology limitations they may have had at the time, I think it worked great. And for me, added a really nice level of authenticity to it the conversation seemed real people were were being rude to each other especially those those like group sequences around the editing table i love the coverage they pull from that those scenes absolutely like all the little interstitial shots of guys like writing on their notepads and like cracking jokes and you know i mm-hmm. i don't know i just love that shit just the, like that's the the immersive stuff that makes me feel like i'm in the movie with it had you seen it? Was this the third time or a second time? For I want to say this is three. Okay, cool. How did you feel on this rewatch? Is it going up in your mind, down in your mind, staying level? I think it went up in my mind. I, I really, really loved this rewatch. The first time I watched it, I definitely kind of was passively watching it, which is not a way to watch this movie. I think you really want to be in it with it. The second time, I really, really dug it, and I paid a lot more attention, I think. And then I think this time is where it's solidifying for me is just like, wow, this is a fucking awesome movie. It doesn't feel like it's forcing anything. It's just like this is so lived in, like the 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 feel of the newsroom and the way that the like the the colors of the chairs and the texture of like the papers on the shelves and like the smoke in the air when they're like you know smoking in the newsroom i don't know just like <laughs> hoffman constantly smoking almost smoking. every scene and and redford even calls it out when he's smoking in the elevator and he's like do you is there anywhere you don't smoke yeah. and i love that that doesn't slow him down you know, a gr- another great window into his character too. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I totally agree. Like it, it's such an accurate, or seems to us from afar. But what I but mean yeah. by all that is, this movie is obsessed with the minutia. Mm. Is obsessive about what it is to be a journalist. And I just think any in any circumstance where a movie just feels that lived in and researched and and just real. Um, that's such an immersive, cool experience. And then, you know, you layer in the great performances and the great, you know, camera work, like you're saying, and the, you know, the music and, and all the elements together. I, I just, this is like one of my favorite movies of the seventies at this point where I just feel like it's, it's everything is firing on all cylinders in this movie. 
Have you seen any other Alan Pakula movies? I may have. Let me double check real quick. Well, while I pull that up, I wanted to say one other thing. You mentioned the minutia and the detail. I heard this really cool anecdote about where they filmed the Washington Post newsroom was a set. And they built it out like to have an insane level of detail yep. to try to get it exactly right. To the extent where they had the trash in the in the bins from the Washington Post for real shipped to Los Angeles and put in the trash cans of this the set like they, they went to such deep levels there are no shots of trash that. cans you feel yeah it. it's like and that's just one anecdote i'm sure there are millions of like to what detail they went to recreate this space yeah. and even if you don't see what's in the wastebasket again it, it just adds all these little things probably add up and make it better for the actors and make it better for the audience of just the place seeming more uh more lived in yeah no absolutely and and i mean like I think it's the minutia of it in that kind of tactile way, but also just in the way that these actors carry themselves. Like, I love the way that they ask questions and they, they're persistent, like I mentioned before, but they also know when to shut the fuck up and just let the person talk themselves into like, like into a, tr- a corner, you know, like it's, it's like the way that the dialogue is constructed and the way that, uh, uh, Pakula shoots these scenes and just leaves the camera on the actor, lets them have the full conversation over the phone, and you kind of just get the one side of it and just like you you're only getting the journalist perspective. You're just like feeling yeah. it with them. And like when they when someone on the other side of the phone like says one thing too many, you're like, fuck, we got him. Okay. Oh, write that down. Okay. We got that. Now let's go to this thing. Like you're doing it with them. It makes you, it's so immersive. And I think the best example of that, there's a shot and we'll get to the split diopter shots because it's one of my favorite camera techniques. And I think it's really fucking cool, but they do a split diopter shot about halfway through this movie of Redford. And it's a single take where you've got a group of uh, fellow, you know, Washington post staffers in the background. And they're like, watching one thing together and like celebrating just kind of fucking around and Redford's hot on the fucking trail and he's making the phone calls and it's like it's a solid five to six seven minute like very very slow zoom in and you go from a split diopter where you have you know both him in focus on the right hand and them in focus in the deep background on the left and then it slowly morphs into just the closest of close-ups on Redford, just feeling the moment of like, you know, him like getting closer and getting closer and getting closer with each person he calls. And just like, man, it's just, it's riveting fucking filmmaking to me. I didn't notice it until yet later on. It's like, how are they getting everybody in focus in the background? Cause it's, and it, like you're saying, it's this slow. I, I didn't notice until second viewing also that it was one take. And that's a tricky scene for Red. Dude, yeah. Is he fielding multiple phone well, calls? Well, so at the that? end of it, he actually makes a mistake and he calls a char- like the person on the other line a different name. And that was Redford actually just fucking up the dialogue a little bit. And he laughs in character and keeps it going. That worked awesome because that that's right. Because that's the scene where they're talking about the committee to reelect and he's juggling yes. the two phone calls. Super complicated. And, and especially when the camera pushes in think about this if you're redford you have to keep your your head in the right spot if he pulls too far to the right he's going into the other focal length yeah or well especially when they get in close he's he's going to be out the frame if he doesn't keep it that's the thing with with split diopter shots 
the lens itself has two focal lengths in the lens. So if mm-hmm. he moves too far to the right and out of the one section of that lens, he's suddenly out of focus. Yeah. Oh, that's that's fascinating. So really a, a claustrophobic bit of acting that he had to do most yeah. likely. And that um, I, I, do, I really loved that scene and the juggling of the two phone calls kind of reminded me of that phone call scene in Moneyball where yeah, Brad Pitt is trying to make call. the deal and they're doing multiple phone calls. Yep. It's like a totally different subject, but I think that might have been a, a hat tip. To I this think film. you're absolutely right. Yeah, because it was very similar of like someone on this line, someone on this line, I'll call you right back. You know, it was like that sort of thing. And I think Moneyball dials it up a little bit more in terms of the frenetic pace and all the balls that are in the air. Mm-hmm. But I think it's 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 a, it's a hat tip. This, but I, I love that shot too. No, it, sure. it's just like, I don't know. Like, I think the perfect example, like there's a line towards the beginning right after James McCord in the first hearing says that he works for the CIA and it cuts back to Redford and he says, oh my shit. And the the delivery on that is just like, I think that epitomizes the feeling from then on out of the movie. You get to feel that with them when they get those those moments. It's really cool. Yeah, when they get the morsels, we get them at the same time, you're saying. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, do you want to talk Redford performances? Or you had asked yeah, about Yeah, let's talk Kula. performances. I think that's a good spot to talk about them. Um, yeah, well, okay, so we talked about Redford a little bit, like... How do you feel generally about Redford? I'm a big fan, but what's your what's your feeling? Oh, overall, love him. Okay. Love him. In my mind, he is the movie star, quote unquote, of that era. Interesting. Um, More than Paul Newman? I think so, because I actually personally find Paul Newman to be a, a tiny bit stronger. Than More than actor. Warren Beatty? I don't... Yeah, because I haven't seen many Warren Beatty movies, so therefore he's not as big a star. No, I'm joking. Uh, but um, I mean, to me, he's—I always compare him to Brad Pitt. I feel like a lot of people do. They look kind of similar, yeah. and they have That's somewhat why they were similar energies. Spy game next to each other. Yeah. Um, so I have always loved seeing him on screen. He's in a couple of my favorite movies. The Sting is one of my all-time favorites, um, and I always like seeing him whenever he shows up. I remember. Being obsessed when I was a kid of the film Sneakers. You ever seen that movie? You know, I haven't, but that's been on my list for a while. That would be a good... You should consider throwing that on the board. Okay. I haven't seen it since I was probably 10 years that's, old. But that's I remember a definite I, contender. I'm kind of interested in revisiting it too. Okay. But anyway, I've, I've always liked Robert Redford. Um, and is, he has a certain type of charisma too. So I would say I'm very pro Robert Redford, but I wouldn't say in my mind he's like the greatest actor i just like seeing him on camera and on screen you know what do you, what do you think yeah i mean i look I, I think i'm a little underviewed on on redford generally but everything i've seen him in, i find him a fascinating actor yeah well i had heard too i don't know if you if you heard this in the research but he originally didn't want to act in it he he wanted to just be a producer of the film and really get it rolling all the president's men that's interesting yeah but the studio only greenlit it if a star was attached. So I think he kind of reluctantly gotcha. uh, got it, got involved in front That's of the camera. That's interesting. I, I didn't realize yeah. that. But yeah, even still, I, from a performance standpoint, I think, I think it's really, really going to be underrated. And I feel mm. a sense from you, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're about to say you're not a huge fan of it. And I understand that because it is not a showy performance in any way. He's not going big with anything. Um, it's a very controlled, like, 
It's measured. He's not very emotional. Yeah, there's a, there's not a lot of like shit going on, but I think that's Redford just like being like I think this character <laughs> in a lot of ways this character's personality is what he's researching, you know? Yeah. Um and the the bits of personality that come out in those moments where he's getting those bits of information that he's like excited about. That's where I see like that's a really layered textured performance. Like there's a performance the 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 shot that I I mentioned uh the split diopter with him like hunting down Ken Dahlberg, like that sequence is that's bravura shit like pulling that off in a single take. Like that's and yeah. that's never going to get the credit it deserves. Like, you know, like that's true. like Clive Owen going through a giant fucking war zone in Children of Men for a one take. Like it's just as fucking difficult, if not more so, because he's yeah. juggling all the dialogue and the entire camera focuses on him. Yeah, and he's he's and you're right. It's interesting. He's playing kind of a a tighter character, and I think when people go super far with it, where they play a very incredibly subdued character, that gets a lot of attention. Of like, wow, that's a great performance. Two two come to mind yeah. for me. Something like Gary Oldman and Tinker Toller, Soldier Spy. I don't know if you've ever seen that film, but he's very mellow. Mm-hmm. And then someone like Mark Rylance in The Bridge of Spies, very mellow. And to the point where it kind of draws you in. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy crap, this person, this human being, it looks like nothing bothers him. I don't think Redford goes that far with it, and I don't think he's intending to. You know, he's more animated and emotional than, say, those characters I just mentioned. But I think that almost might be a disservice to how the performance is regarded because it's not so mellow that it's eye catching. Well, but it's also it's like in this middle ground of like, you know, how how I react to yeah. it. Yeah. No, no, I t- I'm totally with you. And I think I think the other thing to consider here is like you got to remember he's like he's having to balance out the insanity of Dustin Hoffman's performance in this, which is just yeah. like the dude is like a psychopath. like and like i mean he's controlled too like he's getting shit done but like he's the guy with like the disheveled outfit at all times like the like the moth-eaten shirt and like mustard stains and like he doesn't give a shit everything is the story and like smoking everywhere bouncing in place and i think you got to think about who redford's character is like bob woodward has only been on the desk for nine months at that point he's like on the brink of potentially getting fired because he's not really proven out his worth there and like Mm -hmm. redford is just kind of like a guy who's like probably just like I don't know, still trying to figure his shit out. I don't know. Like, I I, I think, like, I I think it's easy to write this performance off as boring. And I think you're, you might be missing, not you specifically, but people that that feel that way might be missing a little bit of what's going on with him. Yeah. Like, uh, it's easy to to see Redford's performance as boring, especially when he's next to Hoffman, because Hoffman is, is bouncing off the walls. He's caffeinated. He's, He's he's buzzing on nicotine. He's what do you, all over. How the do place. you react to ten cups of coffee or whatever? Yeah, he says. I think he said twelve or twenty. It was an <laughs> absurd number, and um, and Redford, you know, Redford's character Woodward is just so much more reserved, but he also stands his own as well. Like he is, even though he's the less experienced of the two at the Post and in newspaper investigative journalism in general, like he still will kind of call. Hoffman out when he starts to go off on conspiracy theories or like he's jumping to conclusions that they don't have evidence for yet. He's the first one to kind of rein him in and be like, 
I think subtextually saying, I agree with you, but that has not yet been proven. This could be any number of things. So I think that balance is really helpful to the character development or the tension between the two, where one is like jumping to conclusions. The other person is like, no, we have to get there systematically. Um, But you're right. I think I might have kind of had that con job a bit because on the second viewing, I was like, maybe maybe I'm really into this. Uh, well, I think Red, Red, think about it from Red a comedy perspective. Like, if you gotta have, you know, the the I don't remember which one was. The, I was about to say the Abbot to the Costello, but I don't remember which one was. Oh, the nobody in our generation one. remembers. <laughs> Who knows what the straight man was then? Who knows? No, but you gotta have the straight man. You know, like yeah, you, the Mo to the Curly. There you there go. You go. Sorry. Where's yeah. Where's Larry fit in that? Larry is right in the middle. Okay. But I guess for our generation, the David Spade to the Chris Farley. Yeah, that's a good. That's a really good comparison. That's how you got to think about that character. And I think also if you think about who Bob Woodward is now, like the reason Woodward is a good journalist is because he's kind of unassuming and he's just like, I'm just gonna ask you nice questions. You're gonna like me, and like, yeah. oh, you you just let that on. What do you think about this? You know, that's how he gets his shit. He had shit. multi-hour-long conversations with Trump on the phone when, it, as the pandemic was starting to descend. In the most our, insane the, context the ever. Crazy. So it's like, wait, Bob Woodward? And I remember like watching this, and it was like, well, how do I know that name? And then it dawned on me that, oh my goodness, it was him who was writing that book about Trump and had these on-the-record phone calls that he legally released to the public. He's killing it. Well, that's we we've talked enough about Redford. I I think I think ultimately I really dig the performance. I think it's great. Well, let's get to the more obvious ones because I think obviously Dustin Hoffman and Jason Robards are the standouts. But let's start with Hoffman. So Hoffman wasn't originally the first choice for this. From what I read, uh, the first choice was Al Pacino. Ooh, that would have worked. But. Redford eventually came around and said that he he just felt like Dustin Hoffman fit the part better. I tend to agree. They're both like wiry, like intense kind of actors. So I think it could have worked. It it definitely could have worked. But, you know, one thing, too, that that does count for something. I don't think it's everything. But Dustin Hoffman is actually Jewish. Right. So that is if we're trying to get as close to the truth of this real life character as possible. That's something to be considered, you know. Hoffman and Pacino were circling a lot of the same parts at this time. They, they, mm. it seems like a consistent thing that they were both getting considered for similar parts. So, like, Hoffman was an early choice for Michael Corleone in The Godfather as well. I can see it. I think it's a very oversimplification that my mind is doing is size of body and energy. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, they're, they, I feel like they're, they're both, both like five small eight in stature. That's for sure. They're both like five eight on the small side, <laughs> but absolute powder kegs and have great range. Weirdly, Hoffman carries talents. a lot more energy of short guy like than than Pacino does. I feel like. Yeah, I think they shoot uh, Pacino generously. <laughs> I think they have him on Apple boxes or something, man. But I, I could see why they were often in the running for the same roles because they do have similar wavelengths and cadences. They're both very New York. Um, but, but very distinct and different too. And I feel like they fell into the roles that were right for them. You know, I could see, uh, Hoffman in something like dog day afternoon. Yeah. You know, I, I would buy that totally. for sure. I've never seen Serpico. That might be one I throw on the board, but I, I wonder if it'll hold up. Interesting. Um, but I love 
I really do like the performance. I love the energy in his shoulders. Whenever they're charging through the newsroom together, it's almost it's always like Hoffman is blazing ahead. I was ahead, just going to you know? say, there, the scene I noticed it in was when they were going to the Library of Congress. And like whenever Bernstein is on a beat, he's rushing ahead. So like yeah. when he has a feeling about something, he's just like charging. It's great. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he's he gets he's so excited, and it makes sense. He's so amped yeah. up on all these all these stimulants that are surging through his body, you know. And also, it's just the character. And that scene when I love that scene when he gets back after having the whatever it was twenty, twelve, ten cups of coffee, and he's talking to Redford, and he's just spilling out of his pockets all of these napkins with notes yeah. and matchbooks and things like that. That was a great scene. I love the scene of him waiting for the Florida district attorney. Yes. Where he's down there and talking to the receptionist. Ned Beatty and a great little one scene performance there. Well, with that said, is there more Hoffman? Or are we moving on to the big dog? <laughs> I think we got to move on to the big dog. I mean, do any, well, are we calling we Jason Hoffman, Robards the big dog going forward? I like it. I like it because I, like I, I will, we'll, we'll talk about it. But man, I think he has become one of my favorite actors of all time. I love this guy. Uh, but anyway, uh, the man, any other last the scenes of Hoffman? He no, I, I think you've already teased. We got to move on. We've big teased dog. too big far dog. into big dog territory. You got to yeah, just we're moving on to the big dog. The man. Yeah is a legend of the fucking screen. I fucking love every time I get to watch Jason Robards. He is the greatest. And this is his greatest performance that I have seen, which is not many, but God damn it. I would venture so far as to say this is one of the my favorite performances in screen history, like top five. Like I, I think him as Ben Bradley is the most confident, controlled fuck you like performance of all time it is rock star shit mm. yeah i think i mean i don't have to give it more time to think about it all timers but i know that i just loved it instantly instantly his intro just the way he walks in putting his coat on first time you see him the as I best recall. introduction i was gonna say that he walks through like he owns the place he sidles up to the desk kicks his Red feet pen. up starts reading and starts immediately just making edits it's fucking cool the coolest shit ever yeah and you're right he's all and it certainly does it in that scene but throughout he's always kicking his feet up yeah and it makes it just look like apparently a boss, that's man. a ben bradley thing that he picked up that he just like in, oh he is the dude put his feet up performance yeah i mean i had found out that he was going to be in the movie whether from seeing it on imdb or the title sequence and i was just excited do you remember the first Robards performance you you remember seeing? Was it Magnolia, Magnolia do you think? Or do you think it, yeah. yeah, I think that was for me too. And obviously in Magnolia, for those who maybe haven't seen it, he plays an old man dying of cancer. And it was very late in his life and pretty close to his actual time he left the planet. But he um it's I've and then and then I saw him in Once Upon Time in the West. And to see him as a younger man and with energy and playing this very kind of charismatic, like Robin Hood type character, I was fascinated. It's like, holy shit. I didn't, I had never seen this side of him before. And this kind of is in league with that a little bit, but different too. And I just, uh, he is again, just skyrocketing up every time I see him, 
I'm interested. I love the way he speaks. I love the way he moves. I love the way he delivers lines. Um, his voice, which I mean differently by the way he speaks, he also, um, like his word choices and where he hits them are good, but the sound of his voice, like just sonically, is really interesting. And there are a couple like lines that the way he delivers them in this, I just fell in love with. Like um, there's that one where he's like making, he wants them to make sure they get the facts right. Right. And he's just like, you're saying that the former U.S. attorney general, the highest ranking office law officer in this country is a crook. And the way he hits crook is just so strong. And he's just like, just be sure you're right. And just like, you know, he's just has these he always comes into these scenes and just resets the table for what the stakes are now. Like every time he kind of comes in and just like, like you saw all that, like, well, I love running around, you know, I love that he's the only one who can shut Bernstein up too. Like Bernstein will go on and on for anyone, but like one look from from Bradley in that first scene where he's introduced is enough to put him in his place. And he's yes, because like, he wants to challenge him. Yeah, you know Bernstein wants to be like this is a good story, and he even kind of whimpers it. Yep, but he just gets stared down. Yeah, by by Robards. It's, it's so fucking cool. great. But you're right. He he has the best lines in the movie. I personally think he delivers one of the best single shots in the movie which is where he's like okay we'll run it and the elevator closes great yeah that's a culmination to that sequence which we'll talk about in a second because i i think that sequence is incredible but um then after that when he's like the monologue that he delivers when bernstein and when woodward and bernstein figure out that they're being bugged and they're being tracked and they go to his house and they lure him out onto the lawn to talk through it. And he gives this whole monologue and he culminates with, you guys fuck up again and I'm going to be mad. After he goes through yeah. a litany of just like, the world is going to end if you don't fuck, like get this right. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, he just ends, yeah. he's like, but I'm going to be mad. <laughs> yeah, the First Amendment is on the line. Freedom of the press is on the yeah. line. Maybe the future of the nation. And you fuck up again, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> it's so great. It's yeah. just like, yeah. it's the ultimate boss speech where it's just like. Every scene he steals, honestly. That's a great scene. And it's just, and he's in his robe. Like it's at night. He's just on the lawn in his robe. And just delivering this great speech. Um, I like when they do agree to print before that, before the elevator speech. It's on a different story. And the shot is, which you know, there's so many different ways to approach a shot. And it's when he agrees to print the story and Woodward and Bernstein are sitting at a desk and Woodward and Bernstein's backs are to camera. Robarts turns around and walks out of the office. The shot stays where it is. And he just wraps the desk desk with his knuckles. Just kind of like he's excited. He's excited that they're printing the story. And this is Robarts who who does it. So he like wraps the, the, the desk with his knuckles and does a little clap of excitement. He claps his hands on his way out the door. And it's just great. I just love that little touch. He just does this little thing, this little mannerism. But they just hold the camera. They don't do any crazy thing where they pivot around. You don't see his face. He's just he's leaving. But it's just like I, I like I love the way that shot. But more importantly, I love the way Robarts does all these little things, yeah. these little physical things. And and that scene where uh, Ken, who is the char- one of those phone characters that we never really meet, who had had drinks with their co 
worker Debbie Sloan, who plays uh, who's played by Meredith Baxter. They're the that's the woman they kind of like pressure into asking for this list of names and things like that. So it's revealed that they had drinks in in her, in her apartment, and this guy's all frazzled, this Ken guy. And there's that great scene of Robarts on the phone in his office with uh, <laughs> with Hoffman and Redford on the other side, and he gives him the same spiel that he had given them of like oh my cat i have a, i have a wife and a kid and a dog and a cat and he's just robarts is so funny in that scene he was cracking well, me worried up about like, your kid and your wife and your cat yeah 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 and he goes slow down ken you sound a little frazzled <laughs> like, <he's> just, <laughs> so funny and then he's just like twisting the knife of like i don't want to write where you were i want to write what you said in her apartment so it's just like this great like threat in, baked into it and he's just delivered so so well and he's, every scene he's in I'm just like god I just love everything he's doing I love the faces he's making even like the smallest fucking things and like, there's one where he's like earlier Redford says like we haven't had any, had any luck yet and he's like uh, get some and then it cuts back to him and he just throws his hand up just anything else and it's like I'm just watching that and it's like I don't know why I love that I just love it. I love how natural he is and how funny he is and how interesting he is for me he to see He just on throws in these little f- like flourishes to his performance that you're just they're 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 not what you would expect from the performance in those moments. I don't know why. And a lot of it is stoicism like in this movie, but he's just he's really good at the the little like just the little tweaks on on what you might expect him to do. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I loved I, I love this performance and I really love this actor and look forward to finding more of his work as we go through this process and of my own too. Cause he's, he's really climbing the list for me of just personal favorites of, of how I react when they show up. I'm just like, Oh hell yes. yes. I am. I'm into this for sure. Bradley is the best character. Jason Robards is the best actor. Uh, they're all great though. But speaking of people who are just, the most fun and pleasant to see on screen at all times, Jack fucking Warden. He is a warm bowl of soup. He just like, he's the guy you always want in your corner. Like I watched uh, Heaven Can Wait earlier this year with Warren Beatty. I think I mentioned it on the pod, but I don't think it, it made it into the actual episode. But um, Warren Beatty is like fighting to be the NFL quarterback in the Super Bowl and he gets whisked off to heaven prematurely but jack warden plays his coach uh, at the football team and he is just this loving awesome uncle of a character that you're just like fuck me jack warden you fucking rule and in this movie he gets some awesome dialogue where he's just landing zingers left and right and i i, I don't know i love his performance in this whenever i'm going to be combing through movies from this timeline um I'm gonna be keeping an eye out for him because I really, yeah. I really like him a lot. He he's just great in everything. Like he has a really small part in Twelve Angry Men, but he sticks out as a really great performance in that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I love him in everything, and I think this is probably up there with with some of his best stuff. I I think he's great in this, and I think he's like, you know, again, he's just like the guy you want in your corner, like fighting for you, like you know, and and he's yeah, he's great. Oh, I just wanted to mention how, uh, I mean, if we're moving on from him, I wanted to mention Balsam. Balsam is on a dartboard movie night hot streak. 
this guy was everywhere in the 70s. I don't know how I had never heard his name. So he is now in three out of what five movies that we've discussed. Wait, was he also in showed up? Yeah, he's the he's the guy who hijacks the train. He's the sick guy in Pelham. That's right. He's yes. the guy. <laughs> yeah, he was in Pelham, Catch Twenty Two, and this. Like wow. just co- completely by coincidence. Wow, balsam mania yeah. over here on Dartboard Movie Night. <laughs> yeah, we just got a fever. It's funny when you contrast this performance where he's just kind of a rundown pragmatist versus like his performance in Catch Twenty Two where he's this like jolly piece of shit. <laughs> like I don't yeah, know. It's yeah, just, that's a good way to describe it. It's just like I don't know. He, he he's like he's doing similar stuff in both, but it, delivering two very different performances. Well, yeah, and I think what's cool is to see if we're just gonna look at him beside each other like catch 22 is is his performance in it is very big and and kind of silly and and almost vaudevillian in a way is, right. is how i recall it and then this one is is much much more subtle you know it still has he has a natural inclination i think towards being funny just organically but it's a very small you know small performance so he he seems like he had a ton of range definitely uh, and could go really big and really hammy with intention, or he could be really small and not need to take over the scene. Balsam was great. We talked about uh, Jack Warden. I think the only other like small performance that I really want to highlight is Hal Holbrook as Deep Throat is fucking cool. Uh, it's very minimal screen time, but he delivers, he brings so much gravitas to that performance where you can barely even see him. Yeah, his voice is, you know, his voice is a big part of it. His eyes are a huge part of it, obviously. Yep. And both of those categories he's equipped with. Like his eyes are kind of big. And Hal kind Holbrook of like has and like, like water reservoirs sitting below his eyes. Just like. Yeah. <laughs> he can irrigate fields, <laughs> that man. Um, but yeah, he, he is really good. Actually, I don't know. Those are some of the scenes that. That I felt kind of eh on, I guess. Nothing, nothing, no shade towards his performance. Oh, I really those, like those scenes. Those parking lot scenes. Maybe, scenes, man. They're like, yeah. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's I've seen it copied so many times by so many movies that they're like throwing back to this that maybe I I've, I've just was kind of sick of it. They maybe. weren't terrible, but I just was like kind of like, eh, no, this guy's just fair. talking in riddles, dropping these names in the shadows, and nothing really bad happened there. Like it was just like the worst, the most tense scene was a car leaves abruptly, you know, or Redford gets there late. So they had all this suspense and dread built into the imagery um, and like the feel of the scenes. But there was just really nothing going on there other than there was no actual threat that was tangible or came came about, you know. No, I feel you. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say, too, about. Uh, performances we kind of loosely alluded to it but let's give a shout out to all the people on the phone who are never shown like you you mentioned the little clues that they sprinkle in just through voice and inflection and we can't even see them there's a lot of really strong vocal performances delivered that are very believable about like i just don't trust this guy but they sound like a genuine like i don't trust this guy sort of thing so they're, they're not overdoing it they sound like they just got out of bed. They sound like they're uh, annoyed or they want to tell the truth. Like There's all of these complexities just coming through the phone. And I think whoever delivered those various scenes vocally really pulled it off because it's 
it's not easy. It's not easy to do. And you don't get a lot of credit for it. And it was, it added to the realism for me. Did you want to mention just uh, kind of from the hip, any shots that really stuck out to you? You mentioned the Redford. The split uh, diopter. You know, the yep. slow zoom. Um, but there was a lot of shots that I thought were like, that's a I fucking I think my great favorite, shot, you know? well, it's the 20 minutes to, to print scene basically where they have 20 minutes to, to figure out a final source to, to lock in the story and get it printed. Hoffman's doing that whole thing with like the count right. to 10. Right? Yeah. On Cause Bernstein leaves like, the meeting yeah, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. uh, with Bradley and he's like, how many fucking sources do you think he had? Do we, th- does he think we have? And like, then he goes yeah, yeah. and he calls the guy and he does the countdown from 10, which is just masterful shit, like great tension building. But then it's so perfectly undercut later when you're like, uh, that he didn't double check that the guy understood the rules of the thing. It's like so dramatic, but it's like mm. dramatic to a fault, you know? He went, he went a bit too fast. Yeah. So, but so anyway, so that's anyway. The so yeah, that happens. But then the shot that I'm talking about is right after that when he gets that, and then he runs to to Redford. He like runs across the newsroom. The camera tracks with him. Redford's like, "Oh shit!" Like, all right, we got to go catch Ben Bradley before he leaves. Runs across even further, and then you track both of them ca- catching up to Ben, and then you get that bravura shot of of Robards just being like, "Okay, we print." Yeah, the elevator door closing. Oh, yeah, it was so good. But Robarts gives him one more chance, too, which I don't know if it would have changed anything. But he says we could push it to tomorrow. You're right. And again, it's it's meant to be, a, like I think, like an undercut. Like, they rushed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's a super, super effective shot. I really, it's kind of an easy one, but it really impacted me. The one where they're in the Library yeah. of Congress. Is that where they're Yeah. And it's that overhead crane pullback shot. I don't know if it's a crane. I think the camera might be on a cable. It reminds me of that shot at the finale of Breaking Bad. The very last shot we see of Walter White. No need to spoil it. I'll just leave it there. And it's kind of the camera in this in this movie, in, 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 in All the President's Men, has a little bit of a wobble to it as it's retreating. Well, from... it cuts a couple of times, too, as it goes up. Yeah, it cuts... It has a couple of cool, like, kind of fade cuts. But I, I was looking at this, like, I think this is on the cable because the camera just has this very subtle sort of wobble to it that kind of, it doesn't necessarily distorts the room, but it doesn't look like something you'd see on a crane or a jib. It's got a little bit more organic weight yeah. to the shot. And I'd be curious to hear how they did that. But that was really impressive. And that shot is immediately followed by another one of my favorites, which is them leaving that library and the shot starts with the reflection of the Capitol building in the window of a door, but you can't tell that it's a reflection shot yet. And then from behind the door, uh, Redford and Hoffman continue to burst into the scene and then they burst through the door and then you're like, Oh shit, that was a door. And it's a really cool brief shot, you know, a second, second and a half. But yeah. It's really cool. No, I mean, I think Gordon Willis's photography in this is just outstanding. He, was the cinematographer behind The Godfather, which is just one of the most sumptuous, gorgeous movies ever shot. And, like, this movie is much more stark than that. It's not as, like, yellow and, like, you know, very, like, earthy tones. Oh, it's 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 almost medical. It's clinical. It's clean. It's it's very, you know, sterile. Um, 
UV light, you know, especially in the newspaper, in the post, yeah. like in the offices, bright overhead. Straight and it's very down. just like matter of fact um, with its framing too. It's just totally. like, this is what it is. And I love how it's like he, well, he doesn't choose this necessarily. I'm sure this is Pakula doing this, but I love how they just stage the camera from like the corners of rooms and like up in a, like just letting the, the scene play out and just like the dialogue overlapping, like you've talked about and just like how, like, I don't know. It just, it all feels so natural and organic and real. And, and I, it's, it's interesting that he can achieve that effect both by doing just this crazy, beautiful, sumptuous, like, like it's like the lighting in the Godfather is just like, you want to just like bathe in it. Um, and then you yeah. watch this and it's like very different than that, but it still achieves like a yeah. very, very clear effect from what it's doing. He's so talented. Absolutely. Well, do we want to just go into final notes then from here? Kind yeah. yeah I think I, I'm down to wrap up overall. Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I didn't tell you my problem. It's good. That I had a problem with the movie. Not as big of a problem on second viewing, but still was like, are you kidding me? On first watch, I hated the ending. I hated the ending. So we have that great scene we talked about with Robarts in his robe on the lawn talking about I'm going to be I'm going to be mad, you know, that whole thing. The next scene after that is them typing to I believe the inauguration or perhaps the acceptance of the nomination speech that Nixon is giving. And they're they're both both uh, you know, they're both Hoffman and Redford typing away in the background. I think it's another one of those type of shots, too, where both the television and they are in focus in the back. But they're just pounding away. And then the movie just ends with that typewriter thing, which I thought was a really cool device in the beginning of the film, where it goes close and you see the the letters stamp in and just kind of tells you what happened over the following years. And then the credits just Mm -hmm. roll. And I really felt... It was very abrupt and a very jarring ending. And this whole speech that Robards gives moments before this doesn't seem to really have any weight anymore. There were no mistakes, potential pitfalls shown after that fact or anything like that. And it was just so such a screeching halt. I was like, what? I tend to agree with you. I think like that if you're going to levy any criticism of the movie, it's that the ending is in some ways a little anticlimactic. Yeah, it's like, uh, don't fuck up, or it's our asses and maybe the nations. Credits roll. I guess they didn't fuck up. I don't know. It kind of pulls the teeth a no, little I, bit I out of that scene. That's reasonable. Fact. Yeah, like I feel like I could have used, I don't know, a little bit more of a descent. I, to call it a train wreck was too strong a word. It's not a disaster. I just meant it was so sudden. But I would have liked a little bit of a, the plane coming back down. Just a couple of scenes to nestle yep. me into the end of the film. Because it did. It really did slam into a wall a bit there. But sounds like we, f- we feel pretty similar about that. Not a, not yeah. a cardinal sin. It just knocks crazy. it from a five-star to a four and a half. Like, what? Cool. Well, I think that's going to do it on all the President's Men. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Great movie. Go watch it. I think anyone that likes journalism movies, anyone that likes kind of investigative kind of, you know, uncovering the conspiracy type movies. I think this is, this is the, you know, this is the pinnacle of that kind of thing. So watch it. Yeah. If also if you're kind of like I was, which I knew a little bit about Watergate, I feel like I had the gist. 
it's interesting from Definitely. that perspective too just a way to get a little bit more information about a really important moment in american history but i i like that it focuses on the people investigating and not on richard nixon you know well where are we going to go from here what's going on the board in the place of all the president's men this was a jared pick this is a weird one i don't know anything about it other than it was mentioned in a movie once that i like Okay. And it wasn't even mentioned by name. But it's I heard the premise and I was like, that sounds interesting and I've never seen it. What's it called? It's called The Exterminating Angel. You ever heard of it? Never fucking heard of it. Okay. Do you want to know the context of why I'm considering it? <laughs> the Exterminating Angel? Yeah. Exterminating Angels? Is it from 2006? No, 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 no. This is from 1962. It's a Spanish language film. And have you ever seen Midnight in Paris? Yeah. With Owen Wilson, he walks by this one character and pitches him the idea for a film and tells him that like some high class, high society people at a dinner party get locked in the room and they cannot leave. And as they get their time there grows, like society's uh, rules fade away. So I've I've always remembered that and like who is that like what is this movie they're talking about so I I I tracked it down and that's what it is it's supposed to be a very interesting good movie and that's one of the contenders what do you are you intrigued or would you be interested in seeing this I mean it's such an off the wall choice that I can't help but be intrigued I, I I'll tell you this I'll be upset if we hit it now I kind of want it to live on the board for a little while. <laughs> Like, if it's the next dart I throw, I'm going to be kind of sad. I want to get one of yours We're this week. We're trying to finesse but, the board. But um, I think it'll, I'll be excited to hit it because I've, I've been curious about this movie okay. for years. And I think that's why the board exists. So I'm going to throw it in there for 10. There you have it. Louis Boonwell's The Exterminating Angel is going on the board in place 14 in place of all the president's men. Fuck, so. dude, I forgot we added Bound last week. I'm really excited <laughs> to see that, dude. I'm excited for all of these movies Yeah, there's much. some good shit on here, man. Let's Well, let's do a recap of what the current board is. I did this last week, so it's time to update. This is where we're at with our 20 movie choices. We've got at number one, In a Lonely Place. At number two, Ex Machina. At number three, Seven Samurai. At number four, The Big Sleep. At number five, In the Mood for Love. At number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, E.T., our little shame bracket there. Number eight, <laughs> Alan Partridge, number nine, Days of Heaven, number 10, Bound, number 11, Vertigo, number 12, The Straight Story, number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, number 14, The Exterminating Angel, number 15, Barton Fink, number 16, Putney Swope, number 17, Mother, number 18, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, number 19, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and number 20, The Ballad of Cable Hogue, and as always, The Bullseye is our friend's choice. Yes. Uh, dude, I, I think this is a banger of a list. I still do. Like, I kind of forget what's on here. It's like, shit, dude, I'm excited to see like any of these. All right. So you want to throw the dart then and see where yep. we land? Yep. I'll throw the dart. All right. The dart has spoken. Go for it. No misses. Getting better at this. Number one, the dart has spoken. That would be... Nicholas Ray's In a Lonely Place, starring Humphrey Bogart, 
It's a film noir classic that I have been had sitting on my Criterion shelf for a little while that I am so stoked to start watching. Oh, hell yeah, dude. And also just check in here, too. At the time of recording, who knows if this is true. It's currently available, according to the internet, on Amazon Prime with a subscription. Voodoo. Criterion, Criterion Collection. Disc is readily available. Philo. I've never heard of that, but something, some subscription place think of Philo. Dude, I'm excited. Humphrey Bogart. Honestly, like I've seen a few of his movies, and obviously he's a legend. Like fucking expressions are based off of him. Yeah. But I really have maybe only seen five five of his films. I would say so. I'm I'm and I love noir, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that'll do it for tonight. And I think uh, we had a good time talking about all the President's Men. Hope you enjoyed uh, watching the movie as well. But we will catch you next week talking about In a Lonely Place. Later. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or if you have a bullseye selection you want to send our way, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. If it's for the bullseye, make sure you use subject line bullseye confidential. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman. And all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. <laughs>